This is going to cost me a fortune, this thing. Believe me. Nobody believes you at all, Mr. President. About anything. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Some do, I guess. I got the feeling that something right. Suckers, chumps, and I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. There's a lot of those. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ, on the Central Coast and 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. In Washington, D.C. on 105.5. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much. For joining us today, uh, the Senate uh, voted on Wednesday night to begin 20 hours of debate on their massive tax overhaul scheme, the largest tax package in more than three decades. Having cleared that procedural hurdle, hurdle, they are now uh, facing uh, many more as we go to air. Uh, but the uh, but the 5248 straight down the party line vote on Wednesday, all Republicans in favor all Democrats against to proceed with debate on the Senate floor suggests that many Republicans who were previously wavering may feel confident enough that the that the last of their concerns will somehow be worked out and they'll be able to support this bill. One group of GOP senators led by Tennessee Senator Bob Corker wants to see a trigger mechanism that would be uh, inserted into the legislation that would reverse some of the massive tax cuts for corporations and the wealthy if, in fact, the more than $1 trillion in cuts, about $1.5 trillion, if that does not, in fact, pay for itself through magical growth of the economy, as Republicans always claim that tax cuts will. Um, they have... Uh, they have been uh, told by Donald Trump, the, those uh, Republican senators, that uh, Trump would support such a trigger mechanism. But according to my guest coming up in a bit, the idea would be the dumbest idea Republicans could possibly come up with. David Day and our friend will be here shortly to explain why that is as this massive tax cut for the wealthy and massive tax increase and loss of social services from the middle class now barrels forward in the U.S. Senate. Uh, so <clears throat> I look forward to talking about that momentarily. In the meantime, speaking of Congress, the top Democrat in the U.S. House on Thursday 
called on Michigan Congressman John Conyers to resign in the face of multiple accusations of sexual misconduct. Conyers' lawyer swiftly rejected the request from Nancy Pelosi, uh, saying that uh, Pelosi, quote, sure as hell won't be the one to tell the congressman to leave. House Minority Leader Pelosi called the accusations against Conyers, the longest-serving member of the House, quote, very credible and serious, and said he should step down after decades on Capitol Hill. Conyers was first elected in 1964. The uh, He actually voted for the Voting Rights Act. I think he's the, the well, he is the only one in uh, in Congress to have voted for that. The uh, the 88 year old Democratic congressman was hospitalized on Thursday in Detroit after feeling lightheaded. No details about his condition have been released at this hour. In Michigan, Conyers attorney Arnold Reed strongly dismissed the growing clamor for Conyers to step aside, coming not only from Pelosi, but from other Democrats as well. Conyers, who has insisted on his innocence, gave up his seat as the top Democrat on the Judiciary Committee on Sunday while holding on to his congressional seat in the meantime. The dramatic call from Pelosi today uh, came just hours after a former aide publicly accused Conyers of sexual harassment, telling NBC's Today Show that she was fired for rejecting his advances. It was the latest in a number of allegations against the civil rights icon. Marion Brown, uh, 61 years old, told the AP that if asked, she would testify before the House Ethics Committee, which is investigating Conyers, whose attorney has said that he will cooperate with any investigation. Uh, in related news, I suppose this is related, Desi Doyen. How uh, so? co- well, it's Congressman Joe Barton of oh. Texas, your <laughs> oh. home state. Ew. Yeah, sorry. Uh, one of the longest-serving Republicans in the House, uh, Joe Barton, the longest-serving Republicans, uh, he announced on Thursday that he will not seek another term Representing his suburban Dallas-Fort Worth district, the announcement came after the news revealing that Barton had carried on extramarital relations with multiple women before his 2015 divorce. Uh, But it was really that lewd photo that he sent to one of those women, which was circulated online last week, which prompted Barton to apologize for all of this. One woman who spoke to the Washington Post on the condition of anonymity last week described a five-year relationship with Barton that began with an innocent Facebook message from the congressman and eventually led to explicit phone calls, text messages, photos, videos. As, oh, geez, there's videos of this. Oh, uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> as well as a pair of meetings, both Barton and the woman said the interactions were consensual. But the woman said she felt deceived and betrayed after she learned about other women that Barton was having relationships with at the same time. Barton uh, confirmed his retirement. He will not run in 2018. That was first reported by the Dallas Morning News uh, in a statement today. Barton told the Dallas Morning News that he thinks he could still win re-election. But, quote, it would be a nasty campaign, a difficult campaign for for my family, he told the papers. Yes, I think he uh, he likely would win election in Texas again. 
um, or at least he'd have a good chance, uh, some evidence to support that in a moment. But those are just two in this veritable flood of powerful men in politics and entertainment and media, uh, journalism, uh, journalism and so forth, uh, to be accused of sexual harassment and assaults, impropriety, misconduct, behavior, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That is good. But ironically, the uh, power, and Des, you can tell me what you think on this, because I've, I've been pondering this for uh, the last week or so, the, the the power that these men once had, while it had served as a shield against exposure uh, in these matters for a long time, they were, you know, they were too powerful. Uh, no one wanted to mess with Matt Lauer at NBC News. Uh, that protected him for a while. But now it seems to me that it, it has become a liability for them in that the accusations against these high-profile men are now, at least finally, thankfully, quickly being investigated and uncovered and reported. But if there are this many in these elite, high-profile positions, how many must there be in not-so-glamorous jobs uh, who are, you know, guys who are wielding inappropriate power over women at the local bank, at the supermarket, or the McDonald's, that won't get reported by the New York Times and Variety and, and so forth. Well, I think you make an excellent point. I mean, the fact that these men are so high profile, there is a certain um, salaciousness to the allegations, which yeah. helps get that media coverage and, and you know, thankfully has, has sort of uh, opened the floodgates on, on this, uh, this, this epidemic, this, this insidious epidemic that is inherent in so many different sectors of, of every business sector in, in this United States. And it's, it's a horrible thing. It's, it's terrible. It's tragic. The number of women that have had to deal with this, I would say pretty much... Every woman in the United States will probably have a story about something similar to what we've been seeing, either you know, at some level on that spectrum. Right, but only if they're throughout in the-, the economy. Yes, and, and but but you're right. Only only the major people, only the big celebrities are getting taken down now. It is very unlikely that that the you know the hotel maids, mm-hmm. the waitresses right. are are getting the same kind of protection and coverage from their employers. Yeah. It's a sick joke right now, and and it always has been for women in business in corporate. You know who who work in the corporate world to find that when they go to human resources, when they go to HR, HR they discover is there to protect the company, not to protect them. That may be changing again for high profile people, but I fear not for the the women who are are not as visible, who are not as uh, powerful, yeah. who are not white and in high corporate positions. Yeah, I mean it is it is long overdue reckoning that a lot of people are celebrating. Um, but uh, but you know, the work it's is not done yet. A, it seems like a lot of people, but ultimately it's a it's a handful of people. Right, and this it's work this work people. is definitely not done yet. Yep. Uh, uh, speaking of which, um, <laughs> our, our president, who has been accused of some horrific behavior, exactly like the stuff we've been talking about, and often much worse by dozens of women, or at least more than a dozen, uh, you know, has been able to, was elected, and he's serving now without apparent consequences for any of that. And he continues to support Republican Alabama U.S. Senate nominee Roy Moore, who was accused of sexual assault and molestation of Some of teenagers. the most serious, some of the most serious accusations that have come out in any of this. Right, because they were against teenagers. 
and 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 that uh, support now appears to be greatly helping this uh, far right Republican Senate nominee Roy Moore in his special U.S. Senate election contest against Democrat Doug Jones, which will be on November. I'm sorry, December 12, just about two weeks away. According to 538.com, Republican Roy Moore appears to have pulled back into the lead in Alabama's special Senate election. Moore had lost ground in the polls after allegations of child molestation and sexual misconduct were leveled against him starting back on uh, November 9. But three new polls out this week uh, all have more leading uh, Democrat Doug Jones by five to six percentage points. Jones had jumped out in front of Moore in three polls, completed six or seven days after the news of the allegations first broke, but he has not led in a single survey since that point. Uh, Harry Enton at 538 wonders why that might be. He says it's hard to know for sure, but a couple of plausible explanations. Uh, First, time. Uh, As the 2016 uh, campaign demonstrated, he he notes, citing uh, uh, Donald Trump and the allegations against him, a scandal's biggest effect on a race can be limited to the weeks following the revelations. Then I guess everyone just forgets about it. Some scandal hit candidates plummet in the polls, he says, then recover a bit over time. We're now nearly three weeks removed from the initial accusations. And, by the way, the election won't be for another two weeks, so uh, that could more could pull even more into the uh, into the lead there. Though absentee voting has been going on for some time. Uh, without the allegations, he says, against more front and center, Alabamians may be falling back on their partisan affiliations. They are very Republican, at least those who show up to vote, at least those who are allowed to vote in the state of Repu- in the state of Alabama. Polls conducted before the allegations became public generally had more with an edge of between five and ten points. He was way up. Um, The most recent surveys show his lead once again at the bottom of that range, so it has rebounded almost entirely. Second, Moore got that quasi-endorsement. I'd call it a full-throated endorsement, frankly, from Donald Trump. Uh, who has been rallying to the Republican side there. Trump bashed the Democrat Jones, tying him to national Democrats, noted that Moore had denied the allegations. So, hey, if you deny them, they must not have happened. Let's go ahead and put the guy in the U.S. Senate. Molested a teenager? Well, you know, what are you going to do? Put him with a lot of young interns. Uh, Yeah, apparently so. Um, what uh, Trump has done has been a far cry from what other Senate Republicans have done. They've distanced themselves from more. But Trump's statements may uh, explain, says Anton, why his voters have moved so strongly towards Roy Moore in the past two weeks. According to Change Research, Moore led Jones by a 59 percentage point margin among Trump voters. Uh, six days after the initial allegations broke, Moore's advantage then uh, jumped, uh, uh, jumped to 71 points among those who supported Trump in um, a different uh, a poll by Change Research. Likewise, Moore's margin over Jones among those who currently approve of Trump's job performance rose from 66 points in a previous survey now up to 80 points in the survey taken this week. So uh, Trump uh, Trump voters are all good. They are all in with Roy Moore, it seems. 
As long as the vast majority of Trump backers go for more, says Enten, it'll be difficult for Jones to win. Trump won Alabama by 28 percentage points in 2016. He still has a positive net approval rating there, incredibly enough. Jones's only real shot in, uh, in such a situation is for a decisive edge in turnout. It will all be about turnout. Those who give a damn about this, uh, show up and vote. I hope you're already registered because the registration deadline has passed, and I hope you haven't fallen off the rolls mysteriously enough, and I hope your votes are counted and counted accurately. Most importantly, I hope you will fight like hell to make all of that happen. Whether or not those voters in Alabama realize it, uh, they are about to get a huge increase in their taxes. Thanks to Donald Trump and the Republicans. Um, I don't know if they realize that. Uh, That's another matter. If they believe an accused child molester should be in the U.S. Senate, then they likely believe Republicans that some $1.5 trillion in tax cuts will pay for themselves because wealthy people and corporations, they'll take all of that uh, tax savings and they will put it back into the economy. Major corporations, however, beg to differ, it seems, According to Bloomberg News, major corporations, including Cisco, Pfizer, Coca-Cola, say they'll turn over most of the gains from the corporate tax cuts back to shareholders, undercutting Donald Trump's promise that his plan will create jobs and boost wages for the middle class. Robert Bradway Chief executive of Amgen said uh, in an earnings call recently uh, that late last month that the company has been, quote, actively returning capital in the form of growing dividend and buyback. And I'd expect us to continue that. In other words, they're not going to invest in the company. They're not going to hire people. They're not going to raise wages. They're just going to give the money back to shareholders and to themselves and their executive pay. That's right. Executives, including Coca-Cola CEO, uh, Pfizer uh, fi- chief financial officer, Cisco CFO Kelly Kramer have recently made similar statements. Uh, Kramer said a week or so ago, quote, we'll be able to get much more aggressive on the share buyback after a tax cut. So they're just going to buy back shares. U.S. voters disapprove of the Republican tax legislation by a two to one margin. According to a recent Quinnipiac University poll and uh, corporate promises to return any windfall to investors are not helping that White House sales effort. But, of course, that is only if the American people ever hear about it. Most of them don't. At a, uh, uh, that speech uh, in mid-November, uh, the Wall Street Journal CEO Council, um, Gary Cohn was there. He's the uh, he's Trump's top economic advisor. And the moderator asked the business leaders assembled in the room in the audience for a show of hands if they plan to reinvest tax proceeds in their business. And almost no one raised their hand. Here's how that can I ask you all a quick question. If the tax reform bill goes through, do you plan to increase investment uh, uh, your company's investment capital investment? Just a show of hands. The tax reform goes through. Okay. Why, why, why aren't the other hands up? <laughs> yeah, that's Gary Cohn asking, why aren't the other hands up? There was about five of them in this in the audience. Yeah, they weren't even willing to play along with the fiction that Republicans have been peddling. Nope. 
Trump has insisted that the Republican tax plan uh, to cut the U.S. corporate tax rate to 20 percent from 35 percent. Mind you, that's almost a 50 percent cut in taxes for corporations, corporations who have largely never been more profitable than they are right now, all at the expense of worker salaries, which haven't gone up in years, in in in, in decades. decades. Yeah. Another provision in this scheme would impose an even lower tax rate on the on companies who had stockpiled their earnings overseas. This would supposedly give them an incentive to return trillions of dollars in offshore cash to the U.S. But as The New York Times notes today, they've done this before. Uh, In 2004, Congress invited American corporations to bring home overseas earnings at a sharply reduced rate pitched it as a means of bolstering investment, but the corporations spent as much as 90% of that windfall buying back their own shares, according to the Bureau of Economic Analysis. So we've been here before. We've seen these lies before. And yet we're doing it again. We're falling for it again. Well, we're not following for it. We're not falling for it, but, but you know, the uh, the Republicans are pushing it through anyway. And yep. and as you've always said, the rubes are still falling for it. John Shin, uh, a foreign exchange strategist at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, conducted a survey of more than 300 companies asking their plans for a tax overhaul. And he said that companies are sitting already sitting on large amounts of cash and they're not really financially constrained. So they could make these investments now, but they are not doing it. There are a few uh, uh, corporations, uh, corporate leaders, uh, the Starbucks uh, chairman, the Berkshire Hathaway chair, uh, Warren Buffett, um, the BlackRock financial chair, Larry Fink, who have publicly criticized the legislation, Goldman Sachs chair, Lloyd Blankfield. Blankfein uh, said this month that with the economy already nearly at full employment and growing at 3 percent, now is not the best time for a tax cut. John Bogle, founder of Vanguard Group, said on Tuesday that the Republican tax plan is a, quote, moral abomination. In part because companies will hand over the proceeds just right back to their shareholders. More on that moral abomination next Lots of it this week. Uh, we'll uh, be joined by financial reporter David Dayan, who says the GOP is now pushing the worst idea for this tax scam that they could possibly come up with. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. 
In a recent University of Chicago survey of 38 prominent economists across the ideological spectrum, only one said that the proposed GOP tax cuts, largely to corporations and the wealthy, would yield substantial economic growth. Unanimously, the economists said the tax cuts would add to the long-term federal debt burden, which is now estimated to be uh, more than $20 trillion. If the Republican tax package does have a guiding philosophy, the New York Times notes, it's a return to trickle-down economics, an enduring storyline in which the wealthy are supposed to spend and invest their tax breaks, creating jobs and commercial opportunities for everyone else. As President Ronald Reagan slashed taxes back in the 1980s, he argued that citizens, not bureaucrats, should decide how to spend their money. President George W. Bush similarly bestowed enormous tax cuts on the affluent. But the trickle-down story, the paper notes, has yet to achieve its promised happy ending. Only the beginning reliably transpires, the part where wealthy people get relief. The spoils of resulting economic growth have largely been monopolized by those with the highest incomes. Pay for most American workers has remained stagnant since the mid-1970s, despite Reagan, despite George W. Bush and their promises that uh, things would trickle down. Nonetheless, Republicans are now staging a trickle-down revival, says New York Times, about which Nobel laureate economist Joseph Stiglitz says either it's a religious belief, a belief where no amount of evidence would change that, or... They are using the argument cynically, and they just want more money for themselves. Stiglitz has long warned of the perils of growing inequality while deriding tax-cutting inclinations, yet even uh, at least some, at least some of those who favored lighter tax burdens are now critical of the current proposals. Even some Republican U.S. senators have been skeptical of the rosy scenario being painted by their colleagues that economic growth from the tax cuts would pay for itself rather than adding at least a trillion dollars to the federal debt, as pretty much every economist and independent analyst has determined over and over again here. Republican Oklahoma Senator James Langford asked earlier this week, what if we don't get the growth that fellow Republicans are suggesting? Do we have realistic numbers? And is there a backstop in the process just in case we don't? What if this doesn't work, he said? What changes might be needed in the tax code in the days ahead to be able to adjust in such a scenario? Both Langford and Senator Jerry Moran, Republican of Kansas, cited the fiscal disaster in Kansas that resulted from a slew of massive tax cuts by their governor, a uh, Ronald Reagan tax cut devotee, Sam Brownback. They cited what happened in Kansas as a cautionary tale that should not be repeated on the federal level. There, Brownback cut taxes and the economy got killed leading to huge cuts in social services like education and infrastructure. That may go over well enough, I, I suppose, on the federal level, but at the state level, people noticed. So those senators, along with uh, Tennessee Senator uh, uh, Bob Corker and others, have been pushing for a so-called 
trigger mechanism in the tax measure, which would undo at least some of the tax cuts should the magical economic growth promised by their colleagues not actually show up. After all, uh, as that has been the case in pretty much every similar trickle-down tax cut scenario to date. Earlier in the week, as Donald Trump visited the Capitol to push lawmakers to pass this massive tax bill at any cost, he promised Senator Corker and others that he would support such a safety valve trigger. In exchange, Corker and others voted the measure out of committee and onto the House, onto the Senate floor even before anyone has been able to agree on what that seemingly common-sense safety valve trigger mechanism might look like. But it's only seemingly common sense to undo the tax cuts with an automatic trigger when the cuts prove to not pay for themselves, as Republicans argue they will. Progressive financial reporter David Dayan details this week at The Nation why he says such an automatic trigger written into the massive tax overhaul might be the Republicans' dumbest idea yet, and one that has turned negotiations over the measure now, quote, from tragedy to farce. He writes, You could let monkeys bang on typewriters for several millennia and not come up with an idea as profoundly stupid as what Senate Republicans are now doing to appease some of their own members. Uh, Really? That seemingly common-sense measure may not be so sensible after all. David Dayan is financial journalist and contributing columnist at The Nation and The Intercept, a weekly columnist for The New Republic and The Fiscal Times, and winner of the Studs and Ida Turkle Prize. He's also author of the critically acclaimed Chain of Title, How Three Ordinary Americans Uncovered Wall Street's Great Foreclosure Fraud. And I'm delighted, as always, to have him back here on the broadcast. Hey, David Day, and welcome back, sir. Well, thanks for having me back. So you are saying, uh, if I read you correctly there, you are saying it is not such a good idea to build in this uh, this this safety net uh, yeah, in case I, the... I recognize there was a lot of subtlety yes. in my writing. Yeah, well, because it sounds, uh, David, in truth... Uh, you know, building a trigger, if this thing doesn't work out, uh, let's put the taxes back up. That sounds like a reasonable enough idea, but it is not? Yes, uh, reality intrudes on that seeming commonsensical nature uh, of this. And you just have to open any economics textbook of, let's say, the last 80 years to to figure this one out. So uh, what happened during the financial crisis. After the financial crisis, what did we do? The problem was that businesses weren't investing, uh, people were were foreclosed upon, losing their life savings. Uh, Nobody was spending. There was a credit crunch. People Mm -hmm. were hoarding money to to pay off past debts rather than uh, spending money through the economy. So government was the spender of last resort. We had this thing called the stimulus, and the stimulus was designed to get money out the door so that money could cycle through the economy. The, the, the goal was to increase deficits mm-hmm. uh, in the event of an economic downturn. So what is this idea that they have? The, the idea is if the growth targets don't hit the desired number so that revenues come in, mm-hmm. We will increase taxes. In other words, we will lower deficits 
in the event of an economic downturn. This is what got the Great uh, Depression going. This is what happened in Greece uh, when uh, the, the economy cratered and, and they went through a decade of, of negative growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, austerity in the midst of an economic slowdown is economic suicide. And any economist will tell you that. And what the Republicans want to do is put that into law to make, as, as my uh, uh, friend Matt Iglesias said, mm-hmm. an, ec- an automatic destabilizer mm-hmm. of the economy. We have these things called automatic stabilizers, like unemployment benefits. Mm-hmm. You lose your job, you can go on unemployment benefits, and that money pours into the economy, and uh, that is meant to stabilize the economy. This would be an automatic destabilizer. It would... It would intentionally destabilize the economy if it slowed down. It would turn recessions into depressions. I cannot stress enough how stupid this idea is. <laughs> and, and yet it's coming from the, uh, uh, you know, the so-called reasonable, the Bob Corkers and so forth, who are worried about what these cuts would. I mean, because I understand where, what they're coming, where they're coming from. It makes sense. Hey, if... This thing doesn't do what you promise it's going to do. Let's undo it. But you're saying these cuts would, would be triggered automatically, not at a, right. not at a date. Uh, I don't think it would be at a date, but at a specific time when the economy is not doing well and therefore we raise taxes. Right. I mean, I, mean, I should say that we don't have details. These details continue to be fluid mm-hmm. and nobody really knows. Uh, what what the deal is? We don't have language on this, but the basic concept yeah. of raising taxes if the economy slows down goes against every impulse economists have had uh, since since the New Deal, basically uh, for the last eighty years. Even George W. Bush gave us checks uh, when the economy slowed yeah. down. He did not raise taxes. He did not at that moment decide. Well, what we really have to do is raise taxes. Uh, this, this flies in the face of all logic uh, that we have about the economy and all history uh, of the economy that we know. You And you write that a whole bunch of uh, Republican senators, as well as uh, really all of the so-called conservative groups, from the right. Koch brothers to Grover Norquist to his anti-tax group to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, they all oppose this sort of a trigger, and thus you also argue that they uh, sort of give away their own scam about tax cuts paying for themselves in in the bargain by yeah. opposing this. How so? That's the really interesting yeah. part of all this, because it's been dogma on the right that tax cuts pay for themselves. Obviously, mm-hmm. tax cuts supercharge the economy and create more economic growth, thereby creating more revenue, so tax cuts pay for themselves. They have said this for 40 years yep. on the right. Uh, and, and here comes Bob Corker to say, okay, well, if tax cuts pay for themselves, you shouldn't have a problem with us doing a trigger whereby uh, if tax cuts don't pay for themselves, we make sure they're paid for. And they say, hold everything. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we don't, we don't want to inject that kind of uncertainty into the economy. But it's not uncertain. You've said that it's axiomatic that tax cuts pay for themselves. There can be no uncertainty here, I thought, because uh, there, there's no way this trigger could ever possibly be triggered if tax cuts automatically pay for themselves. 
So it really gives the game away. It, 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 it shows how intellectually bankrupt the conservative ideology around taxes truly is because they know in the end that tax cuts don't pay for themselves. We j- actually just, breaking news, just got the Joint Committee on Taxation, the, the mm-hmm. sort of nonpartisan budget scorers uh, for taxes mm-hmm. on Capitol Hill, uh, and, and they have looked at the bill and they have found that, no, these don't pay for themselves. It's a $1.4 trillion tax cut over the first 10 years. And if you add in all the macroeconomic, this idea of that, that economic growth, if you factor that into the equation, it's still $1 trillion underweight in that first 10 years. And, and they know these numbers. This is all a scam. This, the tax cuts pay for themselves is a complete scam in the service of giving uh, large amounts of money to wealthy people and multinational corporations. It always has been. It always will be. And this little episode around the trigger kind of proves it. And, and that number that uh, the uh, Joint Committee on Taxation came back with, I, I don't know if you've had time to look at the details. Are they considering uh, that even under the growth scenario that the yeah. uh, Republicans say will happen, <laughs> that we will still end up adding uh, a trillion dollars to the debt? Right. What they do is they say, here's our conventional estimate, and then we estimate what kind of economic growth would come out mm-hmm. of the tax plan. Mm-hmm. So they, they measure, you know, how much in GDP is going to be added because of this tax cut. And by the way, these are the hand-picked uh, uh, budget scores by the Republican majority. This, this isn't, you know, Joseph Stiglitz doing this. These are, these are people with the ideological uh, uh, similarities to uh, the, the, the conservative leadership right. that is pushing this bill. And so they say, okay, we have this bill. Here are the tax cuts. Here's what we think that will translate into in terms of economic growth. Here's how much that will raise. So, you know, do the, do the math, and this is what we come up with. And what they come up with is still a, a trillion dollars added to the debt. Now, you know, I, we, we can talk about the debt and what, what that actually means and what, you know, why deficits can be important, particularly in economic downturns. Mm-hmm. Uh, the point is, is that the rhetoric that we hear from Republicans uh, has, has been proven false here by, by this Joint Committee on Taxation report and by pretty much every nonpartisan study uh, of this bill. Uh, and proven even more so by the reluctance of the conservative establishment to go along with the trigger that, it, by their own logic, should never happen. And that's a, a, a trigger that would raise taxes back up. Uh, people are now beginning to realize, I think, David, Dan, what it is you're, you're trying to point out here. So they've come up with an alternative that now seems to be emerging. Uh, it would be a mandatory trigger not to... Um, not to raise taxes, but to cut spending on social programs if things don't work out. Some Republicans seem to seem to like that idea for obvious reasons. But setting aside the immorality, frankly, of such cuts would mandatory forced cuts to social services like Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, etc. Would that be any better for the economy than raising taxes uh, at such a time? No, it'd be far worse. 
um, because what you would be doing in the first case, if you were just rolling back these taxes, these taxes are disproportionately tilted towards the wealthy. And the wealthy have less of a propensity to spend than poor people because they, they simply don't spend as much money on necessities uh, percent, as a percentage of their total income. Uh, there, there would be certainly, I think, would be major problems from uh, raising taxes uh, in the aggregate, but in, in reality, it would, it would be a little bit more muted and certainly more muted than cutting spending, which disproportionately goes to the lowest rungs on the income ladder, uh, those who can't afford uh, those kinds of cuts and would have to pull back larger percentages of their discretionary income just to make ends meet. So it would be far worse economically to uh, do the, the spending trigger rather than the other trigger. But I want to add one other thing here, yeah. is that there already is a trigger in the bill. Under uh, the what they call the pay-go law, the pay-as-you-go law, mm-hmm. uh, if you pass uh, something that disrupts the budget by, you know, $1.5 trillion that, that adds this whole, you are required by law to do what they call a sequestration of certain programs. This is why Senate Democrats have been saying that uh, this tax bill will cut Medicaid by $25 billion, or Medicare, I should say, yeah. by $25 billion, is because there are these automatic cuts uh, to, to balance the ledger uh, when you do these kinds of things, where you, you pass a bill that has these massive deficits, uh, and, and OMB, uh, the Office of Management and Budget, is required to institute those. So now you, what Republicans have been saying is that, oh, we'll pass a bill to fix that uh, down the road. Uh, that would be a, a bill under regular order that would require 60 votes in the Senate uh, and majority in the House. Uh, but the fact is, is that if they pass that bill, they'd be saying, "Okay, we'll get rid of that trigger, but we're going to have another trigger within the bill uh, uh, that would do the same thing. Yeah. Uh, it would just not be as immediate." So uh, it, it, the whole thing is completely convoluted, uh, and it again it, it flies in the face of the type of policy you should do when there is economic slowdowns uh, uh, in, in mm-hmm. the United States. John McCain, uh, over the past few hours, um, he, he had ended up being the decisive vote that killed the GOP mm-hmm. scheme to repeal and replace Obamacare. He now says he's on board. He will vote for this tax bill because unlike the effort to kill Obamacare, he says this measure has been done through regular order in the Senate, through committee hearings, markups, etc. David Dayan. Has this process been carried out through regular order in the U.S. Senate, as McCain says? I mean, I don't really know what regular order is to John McCain, but the fact of the matter is is that there was one hearing uh, on this bill. It had one individual testifying at that hearing. It was the head of the Joint Committee on Taxation, actually. Um, the, one who had, just, the one who just said that, yes, this yeah, is going to increase the exactly. deficit by a trillion. Okay. Exactly. Uh, there was one week of, of a markup uh, in which I think every single uh, amendment uh, rose or fell on a party-line vote. Um, there was no discussion between the majority party and the minority party. And now, I guess in the middle of the night tonight, we're going to have this vote 
with, you know, two minutes of debate on, on a host of amendments that uh, senators try to put into the bill. Uh, that just doesn't seem like regular order to me. There was no bipartisan kind of process. There was uh, minimal hearings, minimal debate. Uh, you know, John McCain sort of used, it, used that regular order thing as a crutch. Uh, what's more interesting is that John McCain actually voted against the Bush tax cuts. Hmm. And the reason that he did was because he said they were too tilted toward the wealthy when the exact same scenario exists for this, perhaps more so, uh, given the fact that, that the bulk of this is corporate tax cuts, which inevitably leak out to shareholders and executives who are, you know, in the upper echelons of the income scale in this society. Uh, it, it, it's, it's remarkable that uh, John McCain wouldn't, wouldn't worry about that aspect of it and just about whether there was a hearing held uh, somewhere or somehow. It, it seems to me that these guys are going to, uh, that they will get to yes here, no matter what. I mean, we've already seen uh, McCain and some others who were seemingly opposed to it uh, begin to cave or just cave completely. Is that the, is that the same sense that you get, David, that they're going to just, they're going to find their way to yes, they're going to ram this thing through come hell or high water? It just seems like it. I mean, you know, over the last 40 years, if you were to use one, uh, one issue to define uh, conservatives, it would be lower taxes for the wealthy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's what this bill promises. Now, it, it has a lot of other tax increases on people in the middle class, uh, people making $75,000 a year or less, they see their taxes go up. Go up. Um, there are really terrible benefits for people who use medical expensing, people uh, who have student loans, uh, graduate students. There are ter- just tremendous inequities in this thing as they scramble to try to pay at least something for this, this tax cut for the rich. Uh, but ultimately, that is such a unifying uh, uh, you know, moment, a unifying uh, kind of a rallying cry for conservatives that they're, they're going to cut taxes, that it's, it's hard to, you know, get them off their, their uh, get them mm-hmm. off of that. I mean, obviously the Senate bill and the, the, the House bill are quite different. Uh, there's talk that the House will just pass the Senate bill, which I don't know if that would be acceptable to everyone in the House or enough uh, Republicans in the House, but uh, we'll have to see how that yeah. transpires. There could be a conference committee, but uh, ultimately, I do agree that uh, Republicans are hell bent on doing this for political reasons and really just to pay back their donors because this is a bill that uh, rewards capital, people who have capital, owners, the owners of the country. And uh, that that lines up with the donor base of the Republican Party. And so it's not surprising they're they're all for it. Yeah. I mean, there will be another opportunity, I guess, if this does get rammed through the U.S. Senate. There'll be another opportunity for the entire thing to collapse when they uh, try to reconcile the versions in the House and the Senate. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I, I think they want to get this passed. Last question here. Uh, David Dayen, presuming they do get this passed, um, you know, for the American people, uh, this will, uh, you know, by all arguments, not be good for uh, the bulk of the American people. Right. So will this 
you know, they're they're dead set on passing it, but will it actually end up helping or hurting the outlook for Republicans in 2018? They seem to think they need to do this uh, for their base in 2018. I'm wondering if it's going to end up uh, hurting them more than helping them next year. Well, it's a good question. Uh, it, it's uh, on the one hand, they'll have at least something to run on to say we did this. <laughs> we, we got something done. Mm-hmm. Uh, the economy is is kind of stabilized, maybe on an upswing at this moment. And certainly, even though these tax cuts wouldn't go into effect until 2018, which means you wouldn't really start to feel them until April of 2019, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. whether or not the, the economy goes up, the economy starts doing well and continues to do well, the Republicans are going to say that's because of the tax cuts, right? right. So uh, there, there's a way in which they can spin this uh, to, to promote themselves. Now, the other part of this that could be interesting is how this affects withholding. Uh, if, you know, the, the tax rates are, are done in such a way so that you get less in your paycheck because they're withholding more, uh, that will have an immediate effect uh, right at the beginning of 2018. So mm. the effect on the withholding schedules, even though that really isn't necessarily commensurate with the effect on taxes overall, could prove more important than anything, because suddenly you're making 50000 a year in 2017, you're also making it in 2018, but all of a sudden they're taking more out of your paycheck every week. That you'll notice. Mm. You, you, you can't... You can't argue your way around that. Trump can't tweet his way around that. So uh, that will be sort of a major question here. A lot of questions in the days ahead. David Dayan, I really appreciate you joining us here. Check out, as ever, his work uh, on uh, on the internets at daviddayan.tumblr.com and uh, find and follow him on the Twitters at D. Dayan. You can also, of course, follow his work at The Nation and The Intercept and everywhere else. Hey, thanks, David. Really appreciate you joining us. We'll uh, bother you again in the very near future. You got it. Thank you. You bet. Okay, your money is not the only thing that Republicans plan to take away with this uh, with this tax scheme. 13 million Americans will lose their health care under it. And, uh, well, that's if any of them have health care left after Donald Trump and the Republicans trying to kill the Affordable Care Act. That uh, that effort seems to be uh, having some success. We'll cover that after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today 
to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Well, if you want to sing out, sing out. And if you want to be free, be free. Because there's a million things to be. You know that there are. There are. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I am nothing but good news today, aren't I, guys? <laughs> uh, well. I, that's what we got. That's, that's what, what we, we got, got to work with. That's yeah. what we got. Um, since November 1, Alice Olstein reports over at TPM, to the astonishment and delight of healthcare advocates, the daily and weekly pace of Obamacare enrollment has been higher, higher, not lower, than in previous years. That would seem like it is good news. But a new analysis by the health consulting firm Avalair now shows that because the Trump administration slashed the uh, the length of open enrollment in half from 90 days to 45 days on the federal exchange, signups are actually significantly depressed compared to this point uh, in previous years. So we have a higher number of uh, signups in a compressed period of time. But it's yeah, it's a smaller percentage uh, so, overall of what would need to happen over the next uh, well, where are we at here? We're uh, almost at December and where the uh, open enrollment used to stay open until the end of January. It will now end in most states on December 15th. So public service announcement, the open enrollment period is open. And if you're looking for health care, if you want to shop around, change plans, get a better one, there are some really good deals out there, including, as we talked about uh, a week or so ago, free plans. Yes, because of how Donald Trump uh, cut off certain payments to uh, to healthcare providers. That has, I won't explain the math, but it has resulted in some plans being entirely free. Many others being less than seventy five dollars. Presuming you uh, you for qualify, qualify for the premium subsidies, right? But people who had paid money before are finding they can switch to a bronze plan this year. And get it for free. Since taking office in January, the Trump administration has severed enrollment partnerships with hundreds of local and national groups. They've abruptly ended subsidies to insurance companies. They have scuttled efforts by Congress to pass market stabilization bills. And they've eviscerated the budget for the open enrollment outreach and the in-person assisters who used to be there uh, to help folks. So they have been trying to do whatever they can to kill it. Uh, the Trump has also been repeatedly de- declaring that Obamacare is finished, it's dead, it's gone, and basically confusing people about the law, which is not dead, is not gone, is not finished. It is there if you want to take advantage of it. But this, uh, this latest report uh, from the Department of Health and Human Services, released this week, showed that signups can, are, are continuing at a brisk pace. More than 2.7 million enrollees so far this year. But as Abelair calculates, that number is unfortunately far below the number of enrollees 
which would be seven million. So it's not even close. Would be uh, far and uh, below the number uh, who had selected plans last year after this percentage of the enrollment period had elapsed. So it's Does a that wonderful clear? Yeah, it's just a wonderful time to speak <laughs> up and talk to your friends and your family, the people that you love, and make sure that they understand that the open enrollment period is going to end soon, especially young people for whom this is all new, this is all very complicated and confusing if before they had been on their parents' insurance and never had to deal with this stuff. This is a lot to process and a lot to understand, which is why having eviscerated the funding for the people who would help you sign up is really, really, really mean to have done to a lot of people who are going to have to navigate this with less help than they had before. So, you know, be be a Sherpa for them. Help them out. You're always a Sherpa. <laughs> You're always a Sherpa for me. And with that, I will uh, Sherpa our way on out of here today. That is our producer, Desi Doyen. Thank you very much, Des. Uh, my thanks to uh, my guest today, David Dayan of The Nation and The Intercept, and of course to you for joining us for a portion of your day or night. It is greatly appreciated. You could drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. And as ever, now more than ever, all of that money you're going to save uh, on your health care. Keep it in mind uh, by stopping at bradblog.com slash donate. If you like your Bradcast, if you want your Bradcast to stay on your public airwaves, now would be a great time to stop by bradblog.com slash donate. And, and spread the word. Tell your friends and family about that, too. You know, the more people that hear us, the more we can, you know, um, as you always like to say, we, we can't save uh, the country alone, but we can all save it together. Boy, you're, you're making these people do a lot. <laughs> But we thank you in advance for whatever you can do. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 